2: Happiness is egg-shaped, and loves us a circle with no end. I was talking about
0: this last night, and
2: he said, happiness is egg-shaped.
0: Hey, happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped, and loves us a circle with no end.
1: Hello and welcome to the Happiness Is Podcast with me your host Bruce Aitchison from Happiness Is Egg Shaped and way back at the very beginning when we first started talking about doing a podcast it was really an excuse for me to speak to people that I wanted to speak to and today it absolutely fits into that bracket. A very old friend from many moons ago uh, didn't go to school together but we played a little tiny bit of rugby together and played against each other and then off he went on his travels and he's never really stood still since caught up with him very recently and straight away hit him with would you do a pod and i was delighted when he agreed to do it scotland international well traveled and now doing amazing things in business i am absolutely delighted to welcome the one and the only mr bruce douglas to the pod hello sir
0: hi there how are you doing fantastic introduction thank you very much for that
1: yeah i'm delighted that you're here and it was very cool to play with and against somebody that went on and did the things they did especially when you didn't stand still you've never really been able to plan life have you
0: <laughs> well i suppose it's um one of those things you have things that you want to achieve but how you actually get there uh, you never quite know you have to kind of adapt especially if you're in involved in sport it's not um you don't have a huge amount of influence over where you go and what you do but um i've been I, I had some I had a nice journey who
1: who advised you at the very beginning who were your sounding boards
0: a difficult one. I mean, your parents are the obvious ones because they're the ones that kind of uh, see what you've kind of uh, sacrificed to try to get yourself to the stage where you've got an opportunity. And then when you get into it, you just kind of speak to as many as pe- many people as you can. But I was quite lucky in that I always had somebody who'd be an older prop playing in the same club that I was playing at. So at Harriet's we had Jockey Bryce, whose boys have both gone on to play, uh, play both played for, one of played for Scotland, one of played Scotland Sevens, I think. Yeah moved on to to Quinn's and, and Jason Leonard was there back up the borders and George Graham was there so in terms of kind of people who were on your journey but you know 10 or so years ahead of you or, or sometimes you know 15 or 16 years ahead of you, and, and in some people's cases there's always been that kind of slightly more experienced people around which is one of the great things about sports teams
1: and did you find that they were willing to give advice or did you go and find it
0: Bit of both really. I mean the I think the sort of good players know when to give you the benefit of their experience rather than thinking I'm gonna to have to tell somebody what I know all the time or sort of force it on anybody. And I think the fact that they, you know, if they've they've kind of been around for a while and, and gone through some of the things that you're on your journey, they know when to sort of step in and say, By the way or um and equally you know, you're they're open to having a chat and someone coming up and asking them a question. So yeah, a bit a bit a bit of both most likely
1: you had to make up as you're going along though cuz there was no template when when we were growing up the the game wasn't professional you you left and you got a job and you played at your club and and that was where you went and when we were leaving school the whole thing just got blown up did you want to be a professional rugby player
0: absolutely i mean the i was in my last year of school when the game went pro and i remember i went to to study in in, in edinburgh university and one of the one of the great things was because i was involved in the edinburgh team on occasion and they didn't really know how to they didn't have academy contracts or anything like that so they didn't necessarily know how to structure it so what they used to do is give you 50 quid if you turned up at a training session so people would just turn up to hold bags and uh and you know turn up at the team run and the coaches didn't really you know they were they weren't uh you know thinking about their budgets or anything like that it wasn't a big thing then so um you just had to sort of uh, make the best of it, make the best of it whenever you got uh, to get involved.
1: So when you were when you were leaving school and went to study, was the plan was sports science you did originally, wasn't it?
0: That's right. Yeah. So sports science then sort of evolved into physiology and psychology.
1: And was sports science just because you couldn't think what else to do, but you wanted to work in sport?
0: Well, I think I think it was one of those things that always I was very uh, uh, committed to trying to become a professional rugby player. When I first started, I thought it would help, and that's half of it. And then the other half of it is there was nothing else that jumped out at me that really interested me, because I think, like most people, when you're younger, I know you are the same, you know, sports what interests you, sports what you enjoy, and that's that's what you can connect to. Um, and I think that, you know, it just it was something that, um, that, that appealed to me, uh, and and the, the right balance of being something that was interested in with nothing else that was kind of really overtaking it.
1: So you say you wanted to be a professional rugby player. Was that because... Well, why was that? Why did you want to be a professional rugby
0: player? I think uh, I'd always enjoyed my sport in general when I grew up, when I was growing up. Um, it was, uh, rugby was my game, it was my family's game. You know, we really enjoyed it. We were really interested in it. And I think the opportunity to to do that for a living was, was, was you know, hugely appealing. Also, you know, desperately, I'd, I'd been lucky enough to play for Scotland at all age groups, you know, played with yourself in uh, most of those teams. And, you know, it's just one of those things that you, you 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 don't necessarily want that to stop. You know, you want to, after you've done the 18s, you want to do the 19s, the 21s as it was then or 20s as it is now into the A-team. You want to make, make it all the way. So I think, you know, it's just a natural progression. It wasn't, uh, it was a strange one because it wasn't something that I saw as being out of my grasp. Like I didn't see it as being a pipe dream. Um, but something, you know, if I could sort of apply myself to it, then it's something I could achieve.
1: How did Harlequins come about?
0: <laughs> um. Again, going back to what you're saying about the SVU not being super organized at that stage or no no unions being super organized at that stage about how they did it. I think most likely a player uh, who was on the trajectory that I was on at the time would have been involved in in academies and had contracts and been signed up to things, but that that just wasn't the case back then. So um, we played, uh, I think at the time when I was coming out of the under-21s, Edinburgh were trying to sign Craig Dowd and that was taking up a significant budget for their um, props contracts. Um, so the the um, the head coach at the time said to me, I like, have actually phoned him to say, look, is there any chance of getting a, a contract with Edinburgh? And he said, look, our budget's taken up for props for next year. So so fair enough. Um, I got a tap on the shoulder from Mark Evans after the Scotland-England under-21s game. He just said, what are you doing? Have you got any interest? Said, yes, absolutely. And then the rest of it was history. And then subsequently, I think Craig died went to Wasps. <laughs> and Edinburgh pulled me up and said are you interested come along now <laughs> to which case I, I, you know I, my um, that that ship had sailed and I was quite quite uh, enamored of the potential move to Queens.
1: So you're kind of comparing then to now in that players would be signed up to academy contracts and all that kind of thing were you doing this on your own away from any kind of agent influence?
0: I got an agent because i didn't really know how to handle it and you know i remember speaking to my dad and he was saying look i think you know if you can there's people out there that will will represent your interests and whatnot so you should probably find one so spoke to a couple of guys that the, the that i knew who were involved and then they recommended somebody so i had an agent for um who just who just i think it was very easy cash for the guy just did the harlequins deal after they'd already made the offer um but so i, I got an agent to get involved but it was one of those things that um the there wasn't a huge amount of influence that the agent had at that stage
1: so you pack your bags and off you go to Harlequins. And at that time, money money was flying around in that nothing was really particularly settled at that time. There was players arriving from league into union. There was players coming from the Southern Hemisphere because it seemed like the streets were paved with gold in, in the English Premiership. What was it like as a kid, really, from Scotland going down to, to that environment you've already mentioned Jason Leonard and I know there was some other household names playing at that time what was that like?
0: It was a great experience I mean when, when I went down there Quinns had just won the European Shield the year before so but I think they'd had a fairly poor league campaign um, but they have still been involved in the final you know they still had um, some big names when I played my first game there we played my first game was actually in the Heineken Cup Castro away and uh, the front row was Jason Leonard Keith Weed, and myself that day so it was it was really exciting stuff for a 21 year old guy to come down from Scotland and then go over and start playing in these games with, with you know the highest profile players in the in the globe in the, in the front row certainly by by a long shot so um yeah it was, it was fantastic really it was great the um quite uh, diverse squads and that was one of the big differences because at that time Scotland maybe had one or two kiwis and 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 that was it and there wasn't really the kind of diversity in the squads that you get outside of Scotland I mean, you probably don't get as much these days because of their English qualified players rules that they're bringing in. But certainly there there is uh, Garrick Morgan was involved, the big Australian lock. There's Tani Alafuga and St the Simone's playing there. Um, there's uh, um, Norman Vandiri, the the fijian fullback. There's a lot of you know a real sort of mix of uh, different players. Well, you know Will Greenwood, Dan Luger, uh, some of these guys as well. So it's a you know it's a really interesting time and really um, a nice nice club to be part of.
1: You've got a brilliant tier tier story um on your bus i'm not gonna get to tell that now because that'll spoil it if you ever go to dinner but i love i've spoken at a couple of dinners with you and i love that story it always tickles me so you go down there but props are not supposed to be playing at that level at 21 T- props are supposed to get better with age what made you ready at 21 to play at that level in that company
0: i don't, I don't know if you're ever really ready i mean i remember you know you always think that you know if you're If you're good enough you're old enough or at the other end of your career if you're good enough you're young enough because you know there's always you can always make an argument why you should be involved but i think there's 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 lots of kind of um things that have changed in the game and and conditioning is one of them um but i suspect slightly because of partly because of my studies and the stuff that i was interested in Partly because the scottish institute of sport has started to get involved i was i was reasonably well conditioned in the in the gym for 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 that era if you like because there was still a situation where you'd you turn up, and a lot of the guys didn't do leg weights, for example. You know, they just did a bit of bench and a bit of chins and stuff. Um, but you know, I sort of had a, a reasonable grounding in that up here, so that actually helped quite a bit. But um, it's uh, you know, I think I still think you know, young players these days—they're coming through. They, they they absolutely can make an impact quite quickly, and we see that across the across the board with um, various players stepping into their club sides and doing well.
1: Did you realize at the time that you were soaking up lessons for the future, or were you just? picking up things to get you to the game on Saturday or to get the next contract
0: I think it's I think it's It's a, a, a bit of both I think any kind of real cerebral adjustments or things that you learn probably benefit you you know later in your career and you know like youth is wasted on the young but the I think when you're when you're young you are really very very focused on that short-term goal of trying to get picked and and that's really all that, that matters and then um anything that you actually learn how to win games or learn how to impact games learn how to influence games you you know that doesn't really creep in until you're a bit older and after you've worked out this is how i've been picked this is why i've been picked actually this might be what we've done to help contribute to the team winning the game and then that that starts to filter into these kind of lessons that you've learned but you're absolutely right when you first start out your number one priority is yourself getting getting your name in in the team sheet whether that's on the bench or starting whatever just kind of getting yourself involved from an early stage
1: Did you feel like you were living out the ambition that that you'd craved turning up to training with, you know, British Lions and internationals from Southern Hemisphere? And there you were as as a young pup. Did you feel like, hang on a minute, I've landed. Did you give yourself a bit of time to be pleased with yourself?
0: I don't know if you ever I think that's one of the things that you're I don't know if it's a Scottish trait or something but you're never quite happy with things how how they've gone and you never quite feel as though you've made it it's always um you're always just a little bit um feeling as though you're not quite good enough so you always feel as though there's something to prove so I think when you do go in there the first thing you don't think of is I've cracked it look where I am you think like I've got to kind of live up to the players I'm playing with the people I'm around and, and and try and make sure you kind of earn a bit of respect, but also just make sure uh, you know try and earn that place in the team that you desperately want. It doesn't really matter. Very few people want to be on the fringes of a squad, do you? you want to be kind of um, involved.
1: You must have had at that time it would have been text messages and probably <laughs> MSN messenger saying how's it going, what's it like? Some of your, some of your mates must have been delighted for you on one hand and bloody envious of you on the other.
0: I, th- I think it was because it was quite out of the blue and it, it didn't really you know I think it literally went down signed came home packed my bags and left I don't think there's any kind of hanging around that went on so it was quite out of the blue in that sense but you know when I was down there we're actually because the communication isn't quite what it is these days with Facebook and whatnot um you're quite out of it you know so it was quite away from away from Scottish rugby away from from friends and family for the first time which was in many respects, you know the ma- the making of you as a young person to sort of move down to London and all of a sudden thrust into playing the Heineken Cup and uh, and 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 being involved in you know pretty high level stuff that they might not have might not have been exposed to if I stayed in Scotland.
1: <laughs> and then you come back to Gala.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know, it was another, it was a, it was one of the easiest decisions because the that summer I was. And, and whether you know you never know how these things come about. but um Jim Telfer Jim Telfer actually phoned me up, which was you know Jim Telfer's you know people in Jap, you kind of have to listen, don't you? And um you sort of you know said that we're interested in you coming back up, and I said, you know, all right, i'm I'm obviously open to it. There's a bit more chat at the time about other players that are going. So we knew Gregor was going, which is obviously important, and um, Doddy was going. They um I think Scott Murray was mentioned as going at the time, but I think he actually went to Edinburgh in the end. But they were they were really making a big effort to get players who were, you know, current internationals or, or, or very recently finished internationals who were playing outside Scotland, get them all to come back together. Um Sean Longstaff, for example, I think he was another one that came back as well. So you think, oh, this, you know, there's something there you could build something here. There's something that's a good opportunity and nice to get into something a bit more fresh, um and a bit sort of free of of what I'd been, because as much as Edinburgh and Glasgow are incredibly competitive teams now, they weren't back then. I remember my um, my debut for Edinburgh. We played Cardiff away, and we literally got beat by eighty points. Um, so you know, you're you're thinking there might be something that's come back in and do something that um, could maybe challenge uh, what, what's been happening. The kind of accepting that we're we're probably you know going to finish mid table or finish finish lower down the on the table um, with a new team, fresh start. Tony uh, Gilbert coming over to coach who'd had previous involvement in the All Blacks so a lot of really positive things around it and and I got picked for the Scotland tour that summer um which kind of made me think well what do I actually want to do and if my goals and ambitions were to play for Scotland rather than play for Harlequins as much as I love my time at the club you know you, you put all that together and you think it's a pretty pretty good option to do that
1: so it was a means to put yourself in the shop window for Scotland
0: it, it was, it was, it was, it was that I thought the, the the names that were being suggested, the players getting back together, the coaching staff that they were getting involved. You thought, you know, that those are you know sort of good, you know, what I perceive to be pretty top level players, and I was keen to try and get involved and play alongside them, and and the whole thing made a lot of sense um, with my own sort of personal ambitions to 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 play for Scotland eventually.
1: Did you get yourself on the bus tour a couple of years ago with the reunion of the board? <laughs> did all yeah, did to that? I was uh, yeah. That that looked from the the bits that were allowed to be shared, it looked like an absolute riot. I hate to think what it was like when the cameras were put away.
0: Do you know it was just, it, it was it was a really really good day out and like you know the the two the two borders teams were involved. So the borders which started in 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 the nineties, disbanded for a couple of years and then another squad put back together in two thousand and three. Both both squads turned up for it, so both both lots were involved. So it was a really good mix and cross section of people. Good to catch up with a lot of people you haven't seen for years. Guys like Gary Armstrong still acting like he's a, a nineteen-year-old kid and whatnot running around. So it was, it was really good. It was, it was a fantastic there and just great to see mates. And and it's actually been a really good thing to reconnect with some of the guys you haven't seen for a while. I've got a WhatsApp group with a few of them now that we stay in touch a bit more. Actually, going to try and meet up with a few of them in a few week, few a couple of months time. But just really great to get back together with the guys because it was uh when you're starting a team from scratch as we were it. It's, it's not easy and, and that kind of uh, binds you together a little bit and, and you kind of people are you, you get the impression people external to your group don't necessarily hope for the best for you and you get a lot of comments from um, coming at the Glasgow camp at the time I remember the league was split into two pools and we were in their pool and a lot of comments about them saying that they were going to you know we were the easy group in the pool and all that sort of stuff but we actually beat them every time we played them Um but yeah, you know, it, it bands you together, so you know, really good memories of, of what was very difficult times on occasion, but a lot of happy memories as well.
1: For the last six years, Fill Your Boots has been making rugby happen at the grassroots level. Please get involved and go to www.fybrugby.com to register your club or to register as a player and join the online community to make sure that games continue to happen in the future joining clubs with players and players with clubs to make sure that we can keep the club game as strong as possible. Fill your boots, bring in rugby together. From the clubs you've been involved with, are there, are there certain players that they were obviously, they were your colleagues, right? You turned up to work with them, but sport has a well, probably all businesses, and you'll know better than I do. You've become friends with some of your colleagues. Yeah. Who who have you kept up with? Who's your who's your mates from Quinn's, from the Borders, from Scarlet's? Who are the people that you've kept as friends?
0: I suppose the guys I've kept in touch with, you know, that, that sort of Borders team. um, I still speak with um, Andy Rennick, who would have been our kind of age as well. He must have been played a few games alongside him um stay in touch with tony walker a bit you know you'll you'll know extremely well um Stewart, Stewart, see him from time to time um uh big colin Stewart, remember him yeah yeah big c. big c exactly yeah so still in touch with those guys a little bit um andy henderson from the scot the center from scotland days so catch up with him quite a bit um and, and other than that you know not, not a huge amount kind of as a sort of Went on my, my career into various different parts, and people move on with their own lives. You you you, you follow your own path and, and don't necessarily stay in touch with everybody you've ever played with. Because as you said, you know you're you're working together, you're playing together. The main thing you've got in common is rugby. Take that away, and there's, there's sometimes there's actually not that much in common.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I loved seeing that bus tour. It just looked like an absolute riot. And uh, we'll maybe leave that one for another day when the camera's not rolling. <laughs> so the the borders. One of the attractions, I think, was Tony Gilbert, and I know he had a reasonably significant impact on you, not just for how you played the game, but as you as a man. How did that come around?
0: He was, he, he, so Tony was a school teacher by trade originally, and, and a, he was a very good educator. So he, he, he perhaps wasn't the most sort of tactical genius of a coach that you ever had or anything like that, but he was a very good at teaching young men lessons. Uh, about how to do things better about how to make the best of yourself about how to um, conduct yourself I suppose you know just simple things like you made us wear suits and every time we got on a plane you had to wear a suit different colored shirt to travel there different colored shirts travel home memories of people running out of the hotel at six o'clock in the morning putting on one shirt because they've got the wrong one on you know you just very you know just just wanted to sort of um instill a bit of sense of standards and a bit of discipline in us and he just had a very nice way of teaching us lessons that were funny and that stuck with you. And I can still, you know, reel off, um, you know, a, a few of them now, you know, just, just really uh, simple things about talking about how how to practice like, um, or, or how to, to, to get better or how to be ethical, but still beat people. And, you know, he just had a, a really, a really memorable um, way of, of, of imparting wisdom and imparting his, his knowledge to you. Um, and he enjoyed that. And he, you know, he also recognized that we're a brand new team. So he kind of got the balance right of thinking, well, these are people who don't really know each other. We, we need a lot of nights out to to get to know each other, to, to to enjoy each other's company. We need to do things away from just playing rugby to connect with the community and connect with the, the, the people that, that are hopefully going to come along and support us. And he took that view that, which, you know, unfortunately didn't work out, but he took the view that everything we do this first two or three years of the team is going to set this club up for the next 50, 60 years. And, Perhaps wasn't as supported by the SRU as he could have been um, with that, um, but had, the, had that sort of initial long-term vision and, and, and ambition to do to put things in place that would be sustainable, that would let the club last for a long time.
1: Did you quite like that feeling of being part of circling the wagons and it's us against the world? Was that it's, it? You've kind of mentioned <laughs> something similar in a couple of your stories. There was that. Did that become quite appealing, or was it tiring?
0: I think. It, I think. It, 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 we the, we got one thing that, the, that the, the group of people that were involved got the very, very initial bit just right, but then just didn't kick it on from anywhere. So that circling the wagons thing was, you know, probably the right mentality to begin with, but, but not the right mentality to grow and kick on to the next stage. It became perhaps a little bit um, uh, um, non-collaborative shall we say and when we didn't necessarily get what we want we maybe shut down and weren't as interactive and collaborative with others as we we perhaps should have been so it's, it's different stages you know and teams you know shouldn't be the same forever teams should evolve and they should grow and your culture should do that and evolve with that and that's probably something that were which was which was really well done to begin with the evolution or the next stage probably some people lost enthusiasm for that as budgets were under a lot of pressure gradually being reduced wasn't really the um, the kind of support to keep, keep uh, reinvesting, I suppose, and keep growing something.
1: So how much, as a player, were you aware of the other things that were going on, I suppose, the politics of it? Were you aware of that or was it just turn up, lift the weights, throw the ball, play the game?
0: I think pretty naïve to it in the beginning. But I think as it uh, becomes more obvious that the SRU wanted to cut the borders but we finished above Glasgow, so they 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 perhaps I don't know if morally is the right word, but perhaps they 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 couldn't justify cutting us if we were the team that finished second highest out of the three teams. So as it became more and more obvious, as you know, we had um, we only had one coach for a while, so Steve Bates was left coaching by himself, and the other coaches went off to get involved in other things. Uh, Richie Dixon, who was the SRU's, I think he was maybe a coaching development director or something at the time, he came down a couple of days a week to help out, and he was excellent, really worked hard, but. It, it was it was clear that the budgets were going one direction, and that the SRU didn't necessarily want to um, didn't necessarily want to, to to invest more in the team. They wanted to invest less, which led to more players, um, either being cut, less quality players being brought in, kind of anybody they could sign type of thing. No investment in facilities. Generally, that sort of going backwards or something. And I think it was just a very much a, that sort of slow way of dying, if you like, of rather than just saying, look, we're going to cut it there's definitely the last couple of years where the lack of investment the lack of commitment from the SRU to it was was obvious and 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 probably fair and probably quite right based on the budgets that they had available um, and the so subsequent improved performances of Glasgow and Edinburgh since but it was it was still an unpleasant couple of years when you're losing most weeks not getting the same support you know, fitness coach is suddenly not there anymore because we can't afford it. So the gym was just um, a group of people off doing weights and a group of people playing a bit of uh, football tennis, kicking the ball back and forth over um, a makeshift net. So it, 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 the any sort of good work that had been done in the beginning was just completely, completely gone. And it was kind of 18 months to two years of it being fairly obvious that we were going to be cut.
1: So did someone come fishing for you or did you start the ball rolling <coughs> to look for a way to get out?
0: When the when the team was when the team when, well when the, when the team was cut, uh, we they called all the pro players together in Edinburgh, the Glasgow and the Edinburgh players as well, and they called the Borders guys to meet half an hour early. Can't imagine why they wanted to do that, but we went into the room where we we're supposed to meet, and I w- walked in, and Stuart Grimes was there, and he said, "Oh, we've been cut," and I said. We're we not, we not getting an announcement about it. And he's like, oh, he found a, a load of forms that have been left on the table that were supposed to be handed out to us to explain what to do next after your team's been cut. So before the S.U. you came in, he'd already kind of read it. And we were like, oh. so we kind of we were aware of it then. So um, came out, got on the phone to the agent and said, look, this is what's happened. Um, there's probably not space at, at Edinburgh and Glasgow for for another prop and you know the the most um efficient thing will be for me to to leave i think the most effective thing for me to sort of find something else so that's what we did um scarlett's got in touch which is great scott mcleod had been down there for a year having a uh, phone me. he was absolutely loving life down there he was playing very well the club were doing well so so went down there
1: and scarlett's- the same but different passionate place uh rugby's the thing yeah community involved and they sign a big dafty like scott mcleod but (laughs) uh he he learned a lot down there it was probably a real watershed for him uh, as a player and as a person i would think so you go down to scarlet's what's it like being a foreigner i suppose in wales as a rugby player
0: no, you're right. I mean, especially in that part where a lot of them are Welsh as the first language, so you know they are quite uh, potentially somewhat. New um, York, you do feel like a foreigner. You know, it's it's different, but it it was great. I mean, rugby's big down there, as you know. Um, there's a lot of um, top players. You know, Steve Jones, Dwayne Peel. Um, uh, uh smiler old, old matthew reese at hooker um you know a lot of really really good really good players down there at the time. regan king was playing in the center and uh, and carving it up so it was a it was a, another um really great place to play and um that was the difference is it was very similar to the borders community-wise uh, countryside town not a city or anything like that so no no big obvious businesses but um you know, no question, they wanted to invest and do the best they can. You know, the new stadium was coming, so it was just a, a real different mindset that this is a club that's keen to go places, coming versus coming from somewhere which was um, gradually, you know, shutting down.
1: So, did that make you a happier human?
0: I think so. I think that there's a kind of um, uh, a sort of dissonance with being a professional player, but but not feeling that well supported and not feeling as though you're in that kind of. Um, situation where you, you can thrive and you know the you go, go down there and there's a real kind of desire to do well which comes from the board and comes from the um the the people who are working in the office as much as anything rather than just the, as, as well as the players
1: so you're in Wales playing rugby the you know yeah. the game of the game of the gods <laughs> were you walking along the street did people want to ask you about how you played and giving you grief about how you scrummaged on the saturday
0: you, de- you definitely did i mean there was um there was not a huge um lot of places to go out for a coffee or anything like that in clinically but there was a starbucks in uh, the local um uh the local uh shopping village or whatever you call it so players would go there for a coffee after practice because some players would live all over the place. So you'd go and have a coffee and drift off. But um the locals would have no no question no um no they wouldn't hold back giving you an opinion of how you thought that you played at the weekend, whether you played well or badly, but you'd certainly get um you know that you'd get their opinion quite quite clearly and quite strongly.
1: So did you and Scotty have a little Scottish clique in the corner?
0: a little bit i mean you know he he'd been down there for a year earlier so he's perhaps slightly more um, more established um but uh, we we got on as well as so we, we we did in any case um but it's just you know again it was just nice to be in a different uh, part of the world i got there was a young prop called ben broster there um who went on he was ex saracens went on to finish his career in بيرits and beyond we got on very well um you know um, both coming from the outside so we, we hung out quite a bit um and then just generally you know the, the sort of rest of the guys it's quite a um quite an inclusive group for the the guys that lived locally um, a few of the guys that lived away but you know reese priestland lived r- r- literally across the road from me so i used to chat to him quite a bit and and just generally the um uh, the guys are you know i think rugby guys when you do get together and people are not in their hometown. there's that sort of natural um way of being inclusive deacon manu of the other props the fijian guy he was there as well got on really well with him so so we had a nice kind of nice little group
1: did that make you refreshed when you went back up to Murrayfield for Scotland camps?
0: Well, I only went back up for one. Um, I only remember, I, I, when I first, when I joined the borders, I played, um, every one of my 43 caps was from, from the borders. And then when I left Scotland, I went back for one training camp just before that six nations. And um, who was it that was injured? and Murray was 50, 50 as to whether or not he would play that weekend. Murray Lowe was going to go on the bench either way and I was um, I was called in because to see if you had made it through or not so I could Murray would step up the first team and I'd go in the uh, I'd go in the bench I think um, but that was the only involvement I had with the Scotland uh, set up since I finished since I left the borders in fact and I uh, didn't get involved I haven't been I wasn't I wasn't involved in anything since then
1: well how, how do you get feedback do you get feedback or is it absence is just how it goes
0: the, the i suppose the, the, you didn't get a huge amount of feedback um and i, I don't think you, you you rightly should get a huge amount of feedback if you're out of the squad because I, I probably dropped out of the scotland squad towards my last season of the borders um i might have come up the odd training session but it wasn't uh you know i wasn't likely to 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 be involved and then once you're out you know it's very difficult to make it back in um especially when you're playing outside of scotland especially when you're um you know I, I didn't start every single week so without that it's um it's difficult to make a really strong argument uh, for why you should be back involved but you know you you do lose ties pretty quickly
1: who who did you play your best rugby for?
0: M- montpellier was where i played my best without a shadow of a doubt um after the scarlets went to montpellier for two years and without a question that's when i played my best rugby um fitness and conditioning is different over there very much in the gym and being as heavy as you possibly can be running wasn't that big a deal but it didn't actually make a huge difference in the actual games because the games are slightly slower over there it's slightly um, much more of a forward battle scrummaging mauling, all that sort of stuff is uh very much what decides the game i think sometimes Used to watch the highlights of the French Top 14 and think, "Gosh, look at this! It's incredible." Actually, the games for for 80 minutes were over for 75 minutes were pretty confrontational, um, turgid affairs, with five minutes of of great back play. But um, but yeah, it was a different. That was when I played my best by a long way. And I I also played played hooker over there for six months because again, the lineouts aren't that big a deal over there in the sense that you know the that sort of practicing you're throwing that, that the hookers in the UK do a lot. It wasn't a thing that, that French hookers did, so there were a lot of French hookers who couldn't hit the back, who you know weren't really used to throwing that, you know, can you know just weren't that that consistent throwers. So I played I played hooker for six months um, at Montpellier as well, and we had a great we had a great little um, unit because the um, front rowers used to they they a year earlier they had an extra prop on the bench, so they used to bring um, a whole new front row. 10 minutes into the second half on every single time. It didn't matter how the game was going, how people were playing. They just did that. So I would play hooker and I was 120 kilos at the time. And I had two Simone props that, that we'd come on with. And the loose head, a guy called Naama Leama Faga, And he was about 130 kilos. And then a tight head called...
2: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot,
0: And the the boys used to call us the the boys used to call us the sofa because they'd say the opposition would just find us so fat, it'd be nice and comfortable for them to lead into us like that. So, but we used to come off the bench with half an hour to go, um, you know, quite literally four hundred four hundred plus kilos of weight com- coming on to to do you know probably five scrums, five carries, and five tackles, and then then uh, knock on the head for the weekend. But it was great. It was, a, it was a fantastic place to play, and and you know that in terms of the the, the form of my life, there's a period. Which you know might not sound that that long, but it was a period of about four months, where whether I started or was on the bench or I played hooker or I played played prop, I felt you know just very very confident. And that's where I felt like I played my most consistent uh, consistent rugby.
1: Can you put your finger on why?
0: I think I think I uh, felt like I fitted into what they were doing. Really cosmopolitan squads, French of course, but Portuguese, Georgian, South Africans, Kiwis, Aussies. English, Irish, Scots, um, and there was a, a real um, nice, um, a nice, nice group feeling for a while. And then I think it was just I'd always had a real ambition to play in France at some point. Uh, I think it's a, a really great place for for to be a professional player. I think the for front row players playing in the top fourteen um, at the time probably more so than now. I think the English Prem's probably a bit more up there now, but at the time the top fourteen was just a fantastic spot to to be in and a really great place to play. And what, you know, just really, you know, I really enjoyed it. Just really took to it.
1: Why? And I've asked this to almost anyone I ever speak to that's played or coached in France. Why can they not win away from home?
0: <laughs> it's a really different mentality. So the French, the French as a nation are, are emotional. You know, they, they, you, you'll see it in their national team. They do emotion actually incredibly well when it's a big event like against New Zealand recently, or when it's they're they're really written off and it's back again against the wall. They really do emotion very well. But, you know, week to week, the desire to win at home is so great that when you've won, there's a bit of a relief. And the preparation for an away game is slightly less. If we were playing Toulouse, I think we had four we had four current French internationalists in the team. So we had Louis Picamol, Julien Thomas, Francois Trandu, and Fulgence Udrago. If we played Toulouse away, they wouldn't pick those four guys. So you're thinking, okay, that that's a slightly weaker side. And... Um, but then the, the, because you've won at home the previous week, the there's just a slightly more relaxed atmosphere. Then you go away with a slightly weaker side, less of a, an intensity in the build up to it, you lose. And then they act like there's been a big catastrophe that they can't understand why it's happened. And there's loads of pressure on again, and then you have to try and win at home. So the kind of uh, the fluctuating emotions that you get and the kind of self-fulfilling prophecy of it's to lose away. So we're not gonna pick our best players. You know, it probably impacts how they do. Um, the refereeing is slightly different. You know, you have to, you know, you have to play slightly better over there to 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 win away, and you have to be on the ball for slightly longer to get a penalty. Without a shadow of a doubt, the crowds do play an impact and and do influence the referees ever so slightly. Um, and and the French do, you know, step up at home as well, so they do have that sort of slightly extra intensity that they have.
1: And could you? I don't know what the phrase is. Could you get on board with that or as a as an incomer did it frustrate you did the did that cosmopolitan group get together in a coffee shop and say <laughs> what the hell?
0: Uh, not not massively. So we had a really interesting situation that the after the the first sort of 6 months we were actually fourth in the league. And that's actually pretty good. And what had happened is a lot of the foreign players been playing a lot. I think the coaches had recruited um 15 foreign players to the squad that the year before. So we'd all been playing a lot, but the players who'd been in the club, so the club, the Montpellier had been promoted from Prodi to maybe three years beforehand. So still a lot of players involved in the squad who'd been in that journey, but perhaps weren't quite up to the next level. So they all got together and kind of a bit of a French player power thing, still very tight with the president. And they spoke to the president and managed to basically get the coaches out and as, as we turned up, fourth in the league, coaches have got the sack. You know, this is unusual. You know, fourth in the league is pretty good. And they replaced the coaches with the groundsman, became the head coach. <laughs> the, the, the kit man became the defence coach. And the academy coach became the backs coach. Now, unbeknown to me, the groundsman had been the captain when the club got promoted from the second division. The kit man had been their best player when the club got promoted from the second division and the guy who was the academy coach had been the, the standoff. So they had this kind of um, history with the club connection with the president connection, with some of the players, these guys took over, surprise, surprise, we go from fourth and we finished the season in 10th. So th- there's only so much you can actually influence in that kind of scenario when that's what you're dealing with. And it was, um, it was one of those things I think you sort of say South uh, African guys that used to say, look, if you can cope with playing rugby in France, you can cope with anything in your life. Cause it's so un- un- unpredictable. <laughs> But it was a it was a bizarre scenario to have the the groundsman sat in the tractor one day and then, um, taking a, taking meetings and stuff the next day.
1: See, those those are things that if you tell people, though, I still think they're unbelievable. But they happen. They seem to happen so often that we should stop being surprised by them.
0: I think so. I mean, I think you get one of the things that have you know having having coached a little bit and been around clubs at senior t- senior time. A lot of the coaches that you you you, know, you see involved you know they've 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 got a very good relationship with somebody that's brought them in or they 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 know somebody or, or they they've got a job because of something they did 10 years ago and that was the, you know the best example i have ever seen of of that kind of old boys network getting together and saying come on lads we'll take over this we can probably do it but you know i think some of them find coaching's actually not that easy when you get into it
1: <laughs> i think that's hilarious Hello, my name is Bruce Acheson from Happiness is Egg Shaped and I am here to tell you where you can get your Happiness is Egg Shaped merchandise. Go to www.halbro.com and search for Happiness is Eggshaped in the stores. We've got it all. Umbrellas, snoots, hats, towels for when you eventually get to go on holiday to the beach or by the pool. We've got hoodies, we've got t-shirts, we've got all sorts going on there. Check it out. Get your Happiness is Egg merchandise. You can get it all coloured up for your favourite team, or for your country, get involved, because you know, I know, everybody knows, happiness is egg-shaped. The the other stereotype is, it's just a fight. There's fingers going in places that they're not supposed to go, and, you know, there's dark things that happen and yeah. if you're playing away from home is the linesman going to flag for something that he's seen at the bottom of a ruck was it that well let's just go for it was it that dirty
0: yeah it was i mean we um we we actually um this it was actually a good lesson for me as well though because we we beat leicester tigers in a pre-season game now, it's just a pre-season game so there's nothing in it but for the the first 25 minutes they were comfortably the better team like without without a shadow of a doubt, they were they were they were by far the better team, and then the we got together and when the guys said right, start poking eyes, start punching people, start taking people out off the ball. And we did this for the next twenty minutes, and we won the game in the end, <laughs> and, and and it was without a shadow of a doubt because a very very capable, good quality Leicester Tigers team were completely distracted from playing, and they're more focused on um, on watching out for cheap shots and then trying to get us back. And we managed to sort of sneak sneak a win at the end of it. Now, it's just a preseason game, but you do it just kind of proves the point that that's you know there's there's something in it these French guys uh, like. And then in the games that we played, the the they had what they call the bagar general which is basically an all all uh, all hands fight. So both both sets of players, 15 on 15, everybody gets involved and starts fighting. And we had, we had one guy in on the team called Monsieur Aggressive, because he was just literally into everything, fighting everybody, cheap-shotting people all the time. Whenever one of these things would start, rather than you, you wouldn't, you, you the, the typical thing would be, I would try and find somebody who is not French, you know, a South African guy or a Kiwi, and we try and uh, roll around in the four cuddling, saying, this is a bit crazy, these French guys are going nuts. But this this French guy would run around punching people from behind and uh, taking all sorts of cheap shots and whatnot. So it it it, it was um, uh, less controlled. And whenever you had one of these things, you would restart with a scrum afterwards because it would be you couldn't pick out who's penalised. So I definitely had that kind of slightly um, uh, slightly more old fashioned approach to it than than what was going on in the in the UK and certainly you know far removed and think far removed from what the French league is now
1: so it was just everybody's at fault so let's just start the game again we'll,
0: we'll just go for a scrum and i mean there's sometimes where we would literally stop these things because we were tired you know it, it, <laughs> it wasn't it, it wasn't the kind of thing that you're um you're, you're thinking okay that comes to these things don't come to our natural conclusion you know it, it, nobody really wins them so um yeah we just restart with a scrum and uh, we'll, we'll just pretend it never happens
1: i love it i absolutely so are you are you taking lessons there as well for everything that you you're up to now like are all these experiences just piling on for what you're going to do and how you're going to work in business
0: i think so i mean i think the one that you you know i talk a lot about um player transition to to people when i speak to to players because it's a it's a big topic for for players especially when they get towards the end of their career and people always bang on about having transferable skills and and you know I think the reality is you don't have transferable skills you know skills are things like your ability to pass and tackle and whatnot you know what you do have is transferable qualities so you'll have an understanding that you can practice something and get better at it you'll have an understanding that you can um perhaps not be perfect something be able to have a bit of confidence to back yourself to do it you have an understanding of of you can achieve things at a very high level by working together and by having a bit of a plan Rather than thinking we'll just see what happens. So if you have a a, a good game plan and, and everybody's bought into it, and you're all working towards the same thing, you can you can uh, perhaps overachieve or get those synergies that you get. And I and I think that a lot of that does come from playing a team sport. You know at a, a high level for a long time. And also the you know the the little bits of coaching that I did, where you know you're you're um you're trying to influence a lot of different characters and get them all to work together effectively. Um not necessarily having to be the best individually, but recognise their part in it, what they can do to be effective, what they can do to make the team more effective and, and how that comes together. I think that's a really important lesson that people can take forward. And again, it's, it's a transferable sort of quality that, that, that people have, I think, from playing pro sport.
1: You, you must have learned a lot of how not to do things as well.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'd say, I mean, it's, um, you know, I you know, played for... I played my first pro game in nineteen ninety eight, and my last one in two thousand fourteen, with only, only the English Championship trophy to to show for that. So there's a lot of um, things which which didn't really go well. I mean, one of the, one of the things which, um, you know, I'd say I'd say poor coaches do, which I saw often in my career is they try to be perfect to everything, and try to tick absolutely every every single box. And, and, a that's that's probably not realistic. Um, and it feels a little bit more like covering their back rather than, than actually trying to win the game. And I think that when you do get into it, recognizing where you can be really good at something and how you can collectively apply that strength to, to, to whether that's in business or, or sport, but what are you really good at and how can you apply that? I think that's the sort of one of the key things to take out and, and recognize that, you know, you might not be so great at something and that's absolutely fine, you know, that's, that's totally okay. Some player might be a fantastic, um, a, you know, a, a think of a prop, might be a fantastic scrummager, might be really, really good in the short areas, but perhaps isn't that fit, you know, that's probably okay. You know, you'd probably take somebody who's bigger and stronger and is going to lock out your scrum five metres out more so than the guy who can run extra extra 100 metre sprints or do more down and up. So I think recognising what, what the priorities are and what's really important is 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 key. And I think that you can apply that lesson to to sport or, or business as well.
1: And Worcester was where you got the chance to start dipping your toe into life after rugby or or we had it started quicker than that
0: no a, a little bit wooster um a little bit of work in a recruitment company whilst i was there up in birmingham um a little bit more in bristol because the same company had an office in in bristol so i uh, did just a little bit um uh, a day a week a day every two weeks and and didn't really achieve much in that time but you got an understanding of of, of generic business i suppose um and then had a really nice transition out so when i finished playing um, I was contracted to Bristol, but I finished playing as on, uh, on loan at the Dragons. I then um, coached at the Dragons one day a week. So I was the scrum coach there for a couple of years. I worked four days a week in recruitment. So I had that swap around of being four days a week in rugby, one day in recruitment to four days in recruitment, one day in rugby. And then I still played a bit. So I played for Cardiff RFC, the semi-pro team. So I had that really nice year where I was busy, but I was transitioning out of being involved in, in, in pro rugby at a decent level. Went to two European Cup finals in the time that I was involved. Played a game at the weekend and then worked four days a week as well. So it was a nice, really nice transition out without going cold turkey, which I think is, uh, is important if you can.
1: So you've spoken publicly and I know you do things not so publicly to players about what happens next who was telling you to do this?
0: Look, I've I've got some, I've got a really close group of friends from when I was younger and they all do various different jobs but, you know, we all stay in touch and I'd always keen to chat to them about, you know, what they do and just to really find out about business and find out about it because I was, I was quite keen to go into business rather than into coaching or anything after I finished it just it, it appealed to me as well and one, one of the bits of advice from a good friend Martin Crichton who I was at school with which I don't know if you even realises how good a bit of advice it was but I was just chatting to him about it one day, and I was probably quite negative about it, thinking I'm not sure what to do, I don't know where to go, I don't know how I don't know how to go about it. And he, he what he said, really changed my mindset to it because what he said was, what, "What you don't appreciate is that you're in the position to actually choose your career, because most of us, when we're in our early 30s, we've taken whatever job we could get out of school, out of uni. We've got a bit more experience in that, so we've got a bit of a pay rise. Next thing you know, we've got a mortgage, so we've got another pay rise." And you eventually work out what it is you want to do and you can't quite go and do it. You say, but you've got probably, you know, at the least two or three years to try and prepare and work out. Now, if I if I'd had that switch of mindset, you know, five years earlier, you know, I'm sure we'd been further ahead. But that was a real turning point to think actually this, you know, having two careers or having a a career as a pro player and then going into business is an opportunity that I wouldn't have had um otherwise, because I would have been probably as he described it you know at that age where you've got mortgage family etc you can't suddenly think actually I want to retrain and go and do this you know or you can do it but it, it's harder it's more challenging so that was a real sort of bit of advice that's really stuck with me and the ability to recognize well you know you you can really choose what you want to do you've got to be proactive about it you have to prepare you have to learn you've got to approach the next stage of your career the same way you approach the first stage of your career which is being an academy player and and learning and going through the grades and building up to it but you can absolutely choose something that you really want to do I think that's really an important, um, for me it was a mindset shift and I think it's an important thing for um, players, athletes of any sort to bear in mind that the, 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 the opportunity to choose is something that's not afforded to everybody.
1: Yeah, I, I love that. Now, I, I was watching something yesterday and they were talking about the swan and how the swan's <laughs> elegant and graceful but underneath it's going like the clappers. In all the time I've known you, which is now quite a long time, <laughs> I reckon not that you're the bonniest, but you're a lot like <laughs> you're a lot like a swan. It, you've always, to me, you've always seemed in control. You've always seemed confident and purposeful, without being, you know, outwardly gregarious or or making a lot of noise. Certainly about yourself, is that the real picture?
0: um the, the the swan is uh very kind of you I think that's a, I'll take that as a compliment um but yeah no I think that the real picture is I've you know I'm, I'm a serious person I'm not a I'm not the I'm not the joker in the pack or the the the, the kind of really out, outgoing um charismatic person or anything like that I'm a serious person and you know it, d- it did it, d- it does take you a little while to kind of accept that because when you get into a group of rugby guys as you know it, it there's a lot of loud characters a lot of um you know very outgoing people a lot of people a lot to say for themselves and if you're a bit more quiet and a bit more reserved perhaps people don't necessarily know how to read that or know how to react that and you know when i was younger i certainly wasn't sure that i was right you know but you know you just gradually come to accept that and and recognize that you know i'm a bit more more reserved a bit 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 quieter and, and that's absolutely fine um but i'm reasonably clear about what, what i want to achieve and i quite enjoy working i quite enjoy working towards goals or, or to, to achieve things so yeah
1: so all all of this all of these diversions and roadblocks and trips elsewhere has brought you to this office in this moment (laughs) in this time and as i say back to that sworn things to me you seem like you're gliding along and and life's going well (laughs) we spent a lot of hours in in a car once driving to dinner and back and and i absolutely loved it and i remember you talking about someone who'd approached you to work with you you did your due diligence and decided that person wasn't for you i don't think bruce douglas suffers fools
0: well i really want people to do the best and i really want to um to surround myself with people who also want to do their best so i think it's important that when you go into business you're <clears throat> you're you, having a good business idea is of course important um, being able to to understand how to deliver that is of course important, but realistically you need the team to do it, and you need to work with people who have similar goals, who want to go the same direction as you, and who are working towards the same stuff. And I think that you know you can you can you can create problems for yourself in business, in rugby teams, in anything by by having people who are not aligned to what you want to do involved. And by having people who've maybe got individual agendas or who aren't quite escapable, and also by knowing yourself. So I know, you know, I'm not easygoing. So if somebody's been more relaxed, they're probably not going to fit in with me as well. So I think there's a, I think there's a a fine line to that. But I think the the crucial thing is that it's not about so much not suffering fools. It's more about, you know, the the people are so important.
1: And you now, do you cause friction? Is that something you do to (laughs) to get people pointing in the same direction?
0: No, I think I, I think you you sort of be be very clear up front, you know, and and recognize that um, there are some things that are you're going to have to push yourself to do, and I think that you've also got to understand what people want and, and why people do what they do and what, what interests them, and try and make sure you kind of cater to that and support that as much as you can. But um, but you know, I think the, the the giving people direction balance it with a bit of support. Give them whatever training or ex- or anything else that they they, they need and, and and get them moving, and if they if they are struggling, again speak to them, offer them some support. But um, but I think it's really that sort of having that clear direction, that sort of vision of where you want to go, and, and understanding why people want to do it. That, that I think that's the best way to do it. I think causing friction in, in unnecessarily is um, you know that's that that can cause more problems than you try to create
1: so bruce the young pup that disappears down to london village where the streets are paved with gold where he's he's boots packed and he's you know he's jockstrap and he's scrum helmet to go and to go and pack down a scrum with british lions couldn't possibly have pictured where you are now
0: no i, th- I think that's the great thing though and i think that you take that get together at the borders we had recently um you know some other friends that i've bu- bumped into one of the best things is is finding out what people are up to now because there will be everybody that you've played with. We're all playing rugby now. People are running businesses. They're teaching. They're um, working with young peoples. One that you see quite a bit. They're still involved in the game in, in coaching or as administrators or something like that. They're they're doing things that are maybe a bit more scientific or or, or, or very technical technical roles. There's tradesmen involved. There's just there's absolutely everything. And I think that's one of the best things that. That I always like to do when I catch up with people or bump into someone, and just really find out about what they've been up to, what's their journey been, and how they've kind of got on with the last uh, the last few years.
1: If you could go back and speak to wee Bruce <laughs> playing his bagpipes and playing rugby and at fifteen, what what would you say to him? Would you just say everything's going to be all right, pal?
0: Um, I don't really know. I suppose you just you know you you, you just sort of remember those days. I kind of a you know had a very clear goal of what I wanted to achieve when I was that kind of age, and I wanted to. To play, play rugby, so I was, I was lucky enough to have done that, and maybe um, the maybe would have um, prepared for the, the finish of rugby slightly sooner. But you know, apart from that, you know, I'm, I feel very lucky with the, the way my life has worked out and the way things are, are have been going and are going just now. You know, I feel the best years of my life are, are ahead of me. Um, you know, I don't sort of look back on rugby and think, gosh, I wish I was still doing that. I, I loved it. I'm really proud of of any anything I, I was lucky to do in the game best years in my life are definitely ahead of me and i think that um if i was to, to go back and, and speak to the, the young man it, it wouldn't be really to say doing any, anything better just you know find yourself that goal and work out to get after it and go for it
1: i mean you you've done some coaching i saw you at murrayfield recently you were enjoying an ale or two <laughs> uh and entertaining some clients i think are you a good spectator
0: i think i am yeah i think it's um it's um it's something that's not always come naturally to me because I always like to be involved you know I think that's another thing about myself I've learned I really I do like to be involved in things um but I think you know I'm I'm, I'm really quite disconnected from the day-to-day of rugby and I haven't been um I think I played played my last game in 2015 coached my last game in 2017 I, I you know I, I don't you know I still have a, an understanding of the game a sort of broad level but the, the sort of the way guys are calling lineouts, the way they're setting up for their attacks and whatnot, you know, I'm very, I'm very detached, detached from that and detached from 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 what's going on day to day. So, I feel very much like a spec, a supporter, you know, you know and, a, and a spectator these days. And I do enjoy the atmosphere. I enjoy going along with family, with friends. We went to the with uh, the um, Scotland Wales game with family the following weekend after that as well, which is which is really good. And um, and you know, I've I've become to really enjoy it. I don't watch tons of club club rugby. Um, I don't uh, I don't plan my life around a game at the weekend or anything like that anymore, the way I did for such a long time. But uh, I, I really love the internationals. I love watching Scotland play. Um, I love when Scotland win. I, you know, it's it's sad when we don't do as well as we could. But um, you know, I've got huge support for the team and for the for the for the guys that are involved and in what they're doing. I
1: love it. alright we're we're nearly there. I, I love talking to you. I could go on all day, but we've both got other things to be doing and people to speak to. The, When I speak to former players and this is the thing I miss and I I say this often, I can remember about three results in my life (laughs) but I can remember heaps of moments and people and the changing room is the thing I miss you're saying that you look back and I I loved the changing room before, after, win loss, you see people at their best at their worst, there wasn't phones or cameras or media or anything like that, what changing room do you miss the most?
0: I've got, it's an interesting one because I, you know when people ask me that that sort of thing, it's the it's it's the obvious one that people mention is the, the camaraderie and the the sort of gregarious nature of hanging around with the guys. The one thing I always miss is is um, walking from the changing room onto the pitch. Um, that that there's just that kind of bit before where you know the warm ups done the warm up the stadium's gradually filling up. You go into to put on your shirt and and get your get yourself sorted out, and then it's very very um, quiet and, and nobody's really chatting too much. The coaches are, are up in the box, they're out of your face and you're very much kind of, you know, with the team but by yourself to an extent and just that walk onto the pitch where you you come out in a stadium where you've just warmed up and it was quiet and now you're about to go out into the, the chaos and, you know, playing prop, it was, it was often pretty confrontational and tough out there so the games are not as fun as, uh, as they, they might be for, for some positions but, you know, that, that walk out from the stadium, I always really remember that and I remember really clearly you know, playing at Ellis Park and walking down the um walking down the steps that you come down to go out onto the field there, walking out at Murray Field and coming out to hear the bagpipes or, or whatever it is, um, coming out at Twickenham and seeing the guy in the union jack suit waving his his flags and all that sort of stuff. Like these are the these are the memories that you know I just just just, just feel privileged that I've got the chance to do those walks. and to to have those moments where you are kind of have that complete clarity and unity of what you all want to go and try and do and, and, and just that absolute feeling of I'm desperate to do my best. And I remember I, I kind of lost it a little bit towards the end of my career. I was I was on the bench for Bristol and we're playing against Bath at the Wreck. And I was I would have been 34, and there's a young lad on the bench. who was 18. It was his first ever game in the pro um, era. So we're at the Wreck, and that's a kind of it's not even really a tunnel or anything like that. You have to go out there. It's quite um, it's almost like a, a leisure centre changing rooms and they're tiny at one end, and and you you come out at the the end of the pitch and come on. So I was just kind of standing around before the the guys who were starting came out, and you're thinking, you know, I'll probably play twenty minutes here, and then I'll I'll, I'll be home in time for tea, anything. And and when the the young guy was next to me he tapped me on the shoulder, and he said, "This is amazing, isn't it?" And and you know, as a young eighteen-year-old, it's quite sweet and it's quite nice to to just hear him, you know, see that sort of you know that that kind of it was all new to him, even though it was kind of probably my last uh, last few few chances at it. And I just thought, you know what. You're absolutely right It is brilliant and you know this fact that we're we're kind of there's an event going on and we're we've got a job to do that we really love doing it's it's just a fantastic thing i
1: love listening to you talk about that yeah. right very quick one's best player you ever played with
0: um i, I, I played a lot of fantastic players the the the, the player that I played with who had the ability to impact a game more than any other was Andy Goode. And uh, we played together at Worcester, and he was... Uh, he, he Every single game he played in, he had an impact on. Virtually always positively. And he was just, he was just a... But he was just a, a very... Um, you know, he, he, he could kick goals. He knew what to do tactically. He was one of the few times for a play to the 10 that knew the are in a bit of trouble. I'm just going to hoof it down the field. He, you know, he was... He was... um not the most athletic looking, but he was incredibly committed. You know, he, for all the the start stick he got, and I think he is is perhaps not the the most sort of super talented all over player, but he could impact a game um, every single time he played.
1: I did not see that one coming. I know
0: it's a funny one because I, I was trying to think of guys that stick out, like you know Louis Pickemol and Mamuka grigodzi played with those guys over Montpellier, and they were fantastic players. Um, the um, guys that like Jason Leonard, Keith Weed, all these guys—they were, you know, really world-class talents. But you know, every um, every time Goodie played, you know, he impacted the game, and and he, he knew what he was doing.
1: Best player you ever played against
0: is <laughs> a a French guy called Jean-Jacques Krenka, who um, was a, a loose head for France in the early two thousands, and he was um, he was not that bigger or, or strong, but not that not a huge prop, but he was just very very tough, very very um uh, aggressive and, and every single game was an absolute scrap and i'll, I'll tell you one story about him we um we, we uh, he sticks in my memory i think because i played against him four times in one year <laughs> played against him six nations for france uh in paris and then in the world cup um and in, in the group stages against france in australia and then we came back from that and then the borders had made the Heineken cup that year and we we're playing agen which was his club So we played against them back to back, you know, that weekend, I think in December where we used to play each other back to back. So we did that and it was four times within the same 12 month period, absolutely battered me every single time. And we got to, got this fourth game. So the the third game that played against them was a a Gen over there. We were over there and um, they won the game, but they finished with 12 men on the pitch because it was that typical (laughs) French thing where they've been fighting and and punching and all the rest of it. And they're coming to our place and I was determined, you know, he's not going to batter me again, but... I thought i'll speak to the guys and see what see what gets some advice so um i spoke to to gregor Townsend because he's one of the senior players in the team i said listen gregor this is the situation I, I need some feedback i need some some advice from you and he said well look if there's a really tough guy in the opposition just you're clear of him so you're thinking right well probably <laughs> i'm probably not gonna be able to do that so i said right uh, i spoke to gary and uh, gary armstrong and he said listen what I would do is I'd get George Graham to batter him. I thought, oh, that's absolutely perfect. That's what I'll do. So I spoke to George <laughs> and I explained to George, this is a scenario. And then George said, look, that, this is what we'll do. Um, when the referee calls, crouch and hold, before he says engage, you punch John Jack Crank in the face. And I was like, I, um, I don't know about that, George. I don't know if you've kind of understood what I've just explained to you. He said, no, this is what this is what we'll do. So I, he said, you punch him in the face and he'll respect you more straight afterwards. He said, right, fine. So we're doing the warm up running around thinking right the referee calls crouch and hold and I'm going to punch on Jack Crank in the face ready for it psyched up not thinking about anything else and then we come out to play and the first scrum is probably not for about 15 minutes so I haven't done anything in the game because all that's on my head is crouch and hold crouch crouch and hold so punch on Jack Crank in the face so then we go in the first scrum comes George looks at me across the scrum gives me the thumbs up just to let me know that he's he's there for me and then the referee calls crouch and hold and then just as I'm about to punch Sean Jack Crank in the face, Jean Jack Crank had punched me in the face. <laughs> <laughs> and I can assure you, he did not respect me more after that. And it was, uh, it was, it was business as usual for him as far as that's concerned. But it was, um, yeah, it was great. It was, it, it, it's one of those things. I was 20, I would have been 23 at that time. And uh, it never got harder like there's never anything that there's never a, a sort of tougher opponent in the rest of my career than that it was just it stuck with me all the way through there's difficult games there's games where I didn't play that well but in terms of one opponent that was always just consistently better than me there it was that guy and I think that you know it's just um it, you know there will always be that kind of difficult thing thing you can't uh, can't get your head around thing you can't deal with properly and 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 you know make a joke of it now but it was, you know it was, it was challenging at the time.
1: <laughs> that's gold i've just realized you're on my wall probably more than md else i think you're in those <laughs> two pictures there oh, and, the then, one. and then you're on my, my big sheet over there so bruce douglas features quite often <laughs> uh, bruce I, I love it and we've gone on far longer than i told you we were gonna go and apologies no, no, for that enjoyed but, it. um last question for you bruce happiness is
0: Good job well done
1: nice Love it, thank you, sir. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I'm glad we we sat together at that dinner just a few years ago, and then we've no, been at another couple, and uh, I hadn't seen you for years and years. But as often as in this game, it's like we've never been away.
0: No, exactly. It's always great to bump in, whether you know an event or, uh, or whatever it is. It's great to bump into, and good to good to see you as well. Thank you very much for having me on.
1: Thank you, sir. All the very best.
0: Cheers. Thanks, Bruce. <laughs> I
1: love it. I absolutely love it. This podcast is just an excuse for me to speak to my old buddies and Bruce Douglas. What a superstar. An amazing journey and a great view on the world and I think he needs to be listened to by future generations. Here's what to do and here's how to do it. Uh, Fantastic guy. If you've enjoyed it, you can listen on Apple and Spotify. You can watch on Facebook and YouTube. If you've enjoyed it, leave a review. Please remember, if you've got nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. Tell your friends. Go back and have a look at past Episodes. I'm sure there's something there that you'll enjoy. Uh, Bruce has already mentioned Tony Walker. That's right, a previous podcast guest. Go back and see what Big Tony's got to say. My name is Bruce Aitchison from the Happinesses podcast, and my happiness is egg-shaped. I look forward to speaking to you all again very, very soon. Hello, I'm Mayhem. Hello, I'm Chaos. And, and our happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is
2: egg-shaped and loves a circle with no end. I was talking about this last night, and he said
0: happiness is egg-shaped. Great, happiness <laughs> is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped and loves a circle with no end.
2: Planning for your next trip?